Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to this Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where it is my immense pleasure to introduce a lady called Jo Tocker and Jo is going to be speaking to us today by um, about uh, what might by some on first impressions become across as quite um, a challenging subject and certainly an emotional one and that subject is break the silence around miscarriage. Jo, very very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Paul. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Our pleasure. So, break the silence around miscarriage, Joe. Yes, yes. Well, it's. Um, I, I feel it's. It's. You know, we're we're into a new paradigm way of thinking, and um, I think that there's a lot of shifts in the last few years. Uh, if you if you look back on sort of um, subjects. A, a bit like depression, suicide, um, sexual abuse, the the Me Too campaign. It's really interesting how these things are coming up um, out of well, the hidden hiddenness. I would say, for want of a better word, um, and, and being talked about because you know they've been talked about quietly underneath, very very sort of reticently. But now I feel that there really is a, a platform to to share these. Um, about these subjects and um, and and have them aired and 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 you know break the silence because what does silence do you know it's um, silence as they, in the words of um, the great song silence silence like a cancer grows mm. in the words of our of um, Garfunkel and um, <laughs> I can't remember his last name um, Gar- Paul Simon Paul, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you listen back to that song, actually, how pertinent is it? I remember listening to that song when I was a teenager and um, thinking, oh, yeah, but now listening to it and really hearing it, uh, it's it's a beautiful song. So um, my experience, um, why I've picked miscarriage, I say miscarriage because it, it's, it's a broad um, word for uh, the subject of baby loss. And actually, it doesn't matter if you've had a miscarriage, um, an early miscarriage, a late miscarriage, an ectopic pregnancy, uh, a molar pregnancy, a um, um, late pregnancy, a stillbirth, or um, or a stillbirth halfway through the pregnancy, or stillbirth at the end of the pregnancy. You know, it's it's a loss. It's a baby loss. It's pregnancy loss, um, and they're all horrific in their own ways and very very difficult to deal with. Um, and you know, it's not to take one against to not to take one slight one against the other. They are they are all um, really really equally, I would say, difficult to to deal with. Um, my experience was that I had a stillbirth but at around 24 weeks. 
So it was actually, it just came in at um, the under, under the 24 week mark. It was something like 23 weeks and, and six days. So in the, in the eyes of the law, I didn't have my, you know, my baby didn't exist legally and didn't die legally. So it's that kind of no man's land. So this is where I feel quite passionate about, about speaking and breaking the silence around uh, those losses because they mean so much to everyone who, who has had the loss, no matter if it was at an early miscarriage at six, seven or eight weeks um, or, or a bit later, because the intention is you want to have a baby and you, when you lose the, the fetus or the baby, you're, it's your, it's not only the physicalness of that baby that you're losing, you're, you're losing the, the hopes and the dreams for your future and for your child. Because as soon as you find out that you're pregnant, mother mode switches, switches in, you know, and you start imagining how it's going to be and if it's going to be a boy, if it's going to be a girl you know what you, your your imagination starts working and you visualize how it's going to be when you when you hold this baby and you know what color the nursery is going to be and oh I wonder what school they should go to and you start planning their lives and it's just such a blow when that is no longer going to happen no matter what time you um you know you lose it at so and the Getting back to the topic of break the silence, um, people tend to, when they've had gone through this awful experience, mostly um, they either have to, you know, with the miscarriage, you, you're given three, pretty much three choices, whereas to let it happen naturally, to have a, a DNC or to have a, a surgical um, management. And uh, that is usually by taking a form of a, a pill, um, a drug, which helps to, to release it. Um, and the DNC is an operation, which, uh, so with, you know, when that happens, it's awful having to go through that. It's really hard. And there's, a, there's a lot of things that, you know, have to be considered and quite often within our house service, you know, it's, it's can be quite mechanical. Um, it's just like, okay, so, you know, the women are often quite shocked when they're sort of given the the um, question, would you like to keep the remains? What do you want to do with the remains? Well, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I kind of haven't thought about that. I don't know what I want to do with the remains. Um, mm. You're thrown into the situation where you have to sort of make these spot spontaneous decisions and, um, you know, your mind is galloping ahead and sort of racing and not really you know, you're not really knowing what you want to do. You just know that kind of you want to get this thing, get this awful experience over with and go home. Right. When you do go home, or if you've had, if you elected to have it naturally, you will be at home anyway. But, um, the follow-up is pretty negligible. There's not much, you know, might be given a form to say, you know, here's some, you know, look for some counselling or, 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 you know, we'll, come see you go and see your GP after a few weeks to see if everything's okay you know it's kind of that's it so women go home and they they they're at home and they struggle and they can't quite believe it's a shock you know they've been through this trauma it is a trauma I feel it's a trauma um and um they don't quite know what they should be doing and there's all sorts of different reactions that a person a woman might have you know she she may 
just kind of like, right, okay, get on with it. It's happened. Let's box it away. Let's bury it. And let's just carry on with life. And, you know, let's get on with it and get back to work as soon as I can. So I don't have to think about this is one of the reactions. Yeah. Another reaction might be is I just can't function. I don't know um, where I'm going or what I'm doing. I don't know what life means anymore. I feel like I'm to blame somehow. I feel like my body has let me down. I feel like I was unable to protect this child for whatever reason. So there's a lot of internal self-blame and questioning and um, really eroding of self-worth. So there's that one thinking that they'll never get out of this sort of deep, dark place. And then there's the people that are kind of in the middle that's sort of like, yeah, okay, this feels awful. Um, I I can sort of go try and pick myself up and, and go ahead. But a lot of the time people don't think about talking about it. So they often don't tell people at work, for example, what's happened, especially if it's an early one and they're not, they haven't announced it yet to to people at work um they don't um, often speak about it terribly much to family and friends um close friends maybe if you've got you know if you've got that great relationship with a friend but quite often a lot of people don't know and extended family often don't know and i mm. think this is where it comes to be quite difficult because then you may have a cousin or a sister or a sister-in-law that suddenly announces that they're pregnant and you know this is the, everybody's supposed to be happy for them and then the woman who's lost the baby is is dying inside because she just you know she's torn she wants to feel happy for for her relative but is feeling like oh gosh this is really difficult to deal with and why am i feeling that you know this is hard and i feel really upset again and it should be me and you know all these types of things which are just so totally totally normal um, and so getting back to my loss and my story, I lost mine at, um, we actually went in for the 20 week scan. Um, because I was in my thirties, I was considered to be an older mother. And so at that point they were, um, advising that I have an amniocentesis. And I think in those, you know, back in those days, um, which was about 20 years ago when I had my loss, but, um, you weren't really given thinking time or, or space to sort of make your own decisions. You know, the doctor's word was, was it, you know, it's like, okay, the doctor is, or the medical profession, they're, they're advising us, you know, we should do it because that's what they say. I think now a lot of people are sort of looking at different ways and alternatives and, and, and doing more research because of course we didn't have, um, the internet was only just starting. It was very, 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 um, you know, it's not like it is now where you've got so much information on it. Um, so we went ahead and had, had the amnio. And it was, a, and it, usually you had to wait sort of three weeks to, to get results. So it was just before my, so it was a couple of weeks before my 20 week scan. And they said, oh, well, let's wait until the results before we give you the 20 week scan. So I would have been around sort of 22, 23 weeks when I went back for my results. Um, and I was put on the, you know, shown into, I said to my partner, oh, don't worry about coming. You know, he was busy. I said, I'll just go up there. I, you know, we've only been there a couple of weeks ago. It should be fine. I'll just go and get the results and 20 weeks ago and I'll let you know. So anyway, so we went up and, um, I went up on my own, lay down on the, in the, on the sonographer's bed 
got the jelly on the tummy and she started to do the, the scan, the ultrasound. And um, you, I was just lying there and suddenly everything just went really still. And the sonographer was really intently looking at the screen. And I just kind of knew in my heart of hearts that something wasn't right. Although I heard the heartbeat, so I knew the baby was alive. But I just had this intense feeling of dread that things weren't happening. Things weren't going well. And I asked her, is everything okay? And she turned the sort of screen away and said, I'm just going to go and get someone to take a look. So she went out of the room and I was left lying there on the bed on my own, wondering what was happening, you know, full of fear and dread and knowing that something wasn't right. And then at the same time, not really believing that anything could go wrong, you know, that you've got this feeling of hope also along, running alongside, no, this can't be right. It's got to be okay. And eventually somebody else came back in the room and had a look at the screen and I think it was the consultant and she said to me, Joe, she said, I'm really sorry to have to tell you, but we have seen an abnormality with your baby. And then she started to explain and showed me the screen and there was, it looked like the baby's tummy was quite distended. She said, there's water inside the baby's tummy and there's not enough water in the amniotic. There's not enough amniotic fluid in the, in the amniotic sac. Um, and she said, basically, this this isn't good news. Um, and said, come back, come back and see us tomorrow, and we will bring your partner back, and we'll we'll have a proper conversation and and give you the options of of what you can do. So I was sort of really reeling, um, and I did go get dressed, and I went in and, and had a quick chat with her. And of course, you have to wait hours because they're always so busy, and they can never see you straight away. So you're sitting there in a waiting room waiting to be seen again by the a consultant who has been seeing pregnant women. So you're sitting in a a, a group of, of, of pregnant women and your baby's dying and you're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, it does really feel like some sort of hell is going on. And eventually I did see her and she said, look, come back, we'll come back tomorrow, but go home, talk to your partner. These is, these, this is what's happened you've probably have got very little options here, either to just hang on, wait um, uh, and see what's going to happen naturally or or have a termination. So I went back and I had to phone him up and say, look, it's not great, you know, we've had some bad news. And, and having to give that news over the phone to someone, someone who's very auditory, uh, you know, visual and doesn't, you know, you have to sort of explain a few times was really difficult. Mm. Um, and and then eventually, you know, he came home and I had, you know, we talked about it and went in the next day and sat down, the two of us, and were given our options. We decided to go away for the weekend because it was a Friday this happened um, and think about and come back on Monday with our decision of what we we're going to do, where we we're going to terminate, where we we're going to let it happen naturally. My instinct was to, for things to happen naturally. Um, and actually what did happen when we went back on the Monday over the 
weekend was that it um the baby had died so we, when we came in and had another scan um and they said no I'm sorry your baby your baby's died and i kind of knew that the baby had died because i i felt this real pain in my belly and my tummy um at one point in the weekend and i just thought oh i think i think that's it and intuitively i had sort of known that something had happened so then we were put into a process, a system, right? Okay, we've got to book you in for the termination. And we had to come back and we had a termination that day, which was really very difficult. Um, and a lot of people who have to give birth to their babies who are dead or um, die very soon after, you know, will know what I'm talking about here because it is, it's, it's a horrible thing that you have to go through. But somehow you kind of dig deep into the very depths of yourself to get through it and you you're able to get through it i mean humans are pretty amazing with with what they can um cope with and 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 get through you know our, our bodies are quite incredible i sort of marvel about it a lot you know you're in this whatever situation it is um thinking that how are you going to get through it and somehow you do you dig deep and you come up with strength from somewhere and um and, and you know and get through it um and and the midwife you know must have can't have been easy for her it would have been a very difficult situation and for her to cope with and she was young you know she, this is the first time she'd had to cope with something like that herself and deliver a, a dead body baby but um they were great you know and they gave they took photos and they took handprints and fingerprints and were given the option to hold before and before they took you know, took him away. It was a little boy. Um, and then I was taken to a ward overnight. They luckily put me into a side ward so I didn't have to go onto, a, onto a, either a maternity or um, a antenatal ward. So I was in a side room and, and then the next day they came and checked me over and said, right, you can go home. Mm. That was it, you know. So I went home. I, I was just, you know, my partner came to pick me up, took me home. We were... I was just in a state of shock. I could hardly talk. You know, it was just this thing just happened, and I just, I just felt so awful afterwards. And I just wanted things to be normal again. And I, I remember going down to the kitchen and um, going into the kitchen and thinking, oh, I'm, you know, let's, I'll try and cook something for dinner. <laughs> Decided that the floor looked filthy and that I needed to, to, to wash it. And I got down on my hands and knees and started scrubbing. I mean, you do crazy things. <laughs> Even yeah. though I didn't have a mop, you know, I had a mop and bucket. I could have done it that way. But no, I was on my hands and knees and I was scrubbing like there was no tomorrow. I wanted to get this pain out of me somehow. Yeah. And um, and then the next day, um, and, and I kind of just wanted to, at that time, just to be on my own. I found it really difficult to communicate, you know, to be, not to communicate. I mean, he didn't know what to do. It was difficult for him and his way of coping with me was to sort of stop and go out and buy me all my favorite foods you know which is sweet and, and and lovely but really bless them not what i i didn't feel hungry <laughs> so <laughs> i didn't want to eat um and i just wanted to sort of lock myself into a cave and just um scream and shout and be primal i wanted to be really primal and of course, you sort of hold yourself back from those things because you don't want to upset somebody else and you don't want, you know, neighbours to hear you and all that sort of thing. So 
uh, somehow I, I just silently sort of I said to him look I'm just going to go and have a lie down and I just silently wept into the bed you know and and um and tried to sort of you know release it that way and and I just remember the next day waking up and feeling really awful and my my GP actually phoned me and said said she was so sorry to hear how was I and things like that and I said well actually I don't feel that great I feel kind of a little bit feverish and um hot and she said right get yourself down here now quick I thought oh gosh what is it um and so I had to wait and see her she said right I want you to go in A&E it sounds like you've got some um septicism septum mean I can't say the word but you know that sort of um your body is trying to uh, uh, like a blood a sepsis and um so what happened was I was when I was left when I was on the on the ward after I'd given birth they put the forceps onto my um umbilical cord and had left me there because the midwife was called to another emergency so I was sitting on the bed for a good long time with these metal forceps on and transpired that I'd got an infection in my womb so I had to then go back and through the A&E system back into hospital and I was uh, again luckily put into a, a sort of a private room in there um, on a, a side ward and put on a drip with antibiotics so that was me you know I was in bed I was locked not locked but I was kept in this room they wouldn't let me go anywhere um, and I had to face my reality I had there was nothing else I could do I was there in a room you know for five days I had to think about it and I had to talk you know speak about it and friends came to saw me and and that was that was okay and I seemed to deal with that pretty well and then I remember a council the hospital sent around a counsellor to talk to me and that was too soon I really I she annoyed me and I kept thinking why are you asking me all these questions I just really don't want to talk about this right now um and it was pretty ineffective uh but the um they kept saying well do you want to see the um the hospital chaplain and I'd say no no it's not really I don't really feel like seeing a chaplain but anyway he came bless him um and he was lovely and he he just talked to me and he he was he was so nice and he said look do you know a lot of people after being through um, uh, an experience like this find it really really um helpful and helps with closure to have a funeral afterwards and we can provide this here and I was like oh no no I don't think I want that that sounds terribly oh no I don't you know that I don't think I could do that but he was really quite an, patiently insistent because he knew how good it would be um and he kept coming back and then he he came one time when my partner was there and we spoke about it together and we decided that yes we would do that and so we he booked it in for the following week i think it was oh we that's right we had to have a post-mortem so that when the post-mortem results came back so it was a couple of weeks later um we um we had the, this little funeral and he he was great he organized the whole thing we had it in the chapel in the hospital um i wrote a poem it was just the two of us we didn't want a big thing we just wanted it to be private and and him and it was so lovely to do and then he took us to to a cemetery where we um we had the burial and i felt that it was really um you know it was it did help with the closure and it was it was sort of an ending of a chapter and then you you know you you can sort of try and, and pick your life up from there and move forwards so that that was my experience um 
I went back to work after a couple of weeks. I didn't really, because I, I felt wobbly for a long time and I was, didn't really want to go back um, straight straight away. So I was given some um, bereavement leave, which was nice. And then when I did go back, I found it to be, I was completely different. And I couldn't really cope with work or the work I was doing or everything seemed, it's like I had a, a change intrinsically, something had changed within me. And um, I, I just went, oh, what am I doing here? This is not what it used to, I, I loved that job. It was great and I loved the people. But I got back and I just couldn't get on. And the head of department who was very much in my, um, I suppose, very much, very much supportive about my pregnancy suddenly wasn't. <laughs> and was just like, come on, bro, get on with it. You've had enough time off. It was all this that I was kind of like, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a shock to the system. And really, I just sort of thought, oh, you know what? This isn't me anymore. Now, I gave it three months and then um, handed in my notice. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something that meant more. It meant more to me. That was because I was in a corporate job in the city. And so that's when I, I left. Didn't really know what I was going to do and decided to uh, eventually um, train as a um, holistic therapist. So I went and did a course in aromatherapy. And that was um, my my journey into uh, another way of being. I learned about energy work and I learned about holistic types of work and, and, and I was able to help people and I felt good about that. That made me feel good. That made me give, gave some meaning to, to something that, you know, was so devastating that it happened to me. However, I wasn't interested in helping women who'd lost babies at that point. <laughs> I was more wanting to to be work on the sort of more positive side. I did go into doing um, aromatherapy in pregnancy, and I trained in baby massage. And I was I was looking at the sort of the life enhancing um, therapies. And uh, then I was fortunate enough after three years to be ready enough to try for another baby. And I had my rainbow baby, who is now nineteen. And um, so she uh, she came along and I was immensely grateful for that. And in between, um, after her two years, we tried again to have another child and we had an early miscarriage at about eight weeks. Again, devastating. Um, and then luckily, but you know, not so far after that, we got pregnant again with number two and she's, um, she's now 16. So, you know, I've been through the spectrum of, um, two different types of losses. Um, I know what women go through. I've been there myself. So it was when I trained to be an energy alignment method mentor about three years ago that I actually had the download or the, the inspiration or the, the light bulb moment that you might call it when I decided that I had all this training, therapy training, plus experience to work with women who have lost babies in pregnancy. So that's taken me into this realm um, to, to help those women. And last year, at the end of last year, I wrote, I published a book um, to help women heal. Because I remember when I was, when I was um, left, you know, there was nothing, there wasn't anything. And I think, you know, it would have been nice just to quietly go and read a book and just do it in my own space, in my own time. Um, and you then you get to a point when you're ready to actually have some counselling or some 
therapy work or, or to work through it. Because I think in the beginning, you're not ready because you've got to process it in your own way. And then you get to a point, you think, right, okay, this is weighing heavily on me. I need to, uh, to do some work. I need to speak about this. I need to get it out of my system. So it's, um, that's, that's why I sort of, I've come to, um, with it, Paul. And, um, I'm really enjoying working with, with women and I run a, a, a Facebook support group. It's called miscarriage and loss and pregnancy support where people can come in and then they can speak. You know, they feel it's a safe place where they can talk about how they're feeling about very, you know, lots of different things, you know, about how their, their relationships going, how they're going with their friends and the family, um, work situations, things that crop up. And it's a container where they can be there, share the things that have happened to them. There's lots of other women in there to, to talk about their experiences as well. So it's, it's a lovely um, place for people to be. And I'm always on hand to give um, therapy advice as well. So yeah, that's what I mean about breaking the silence. You know, we need to talk more about it. Don't keep it locked away because lock, locking things away um, is, is just something that um, festers and, and comes out in other ways, whether that's physical ways, mental ways with depression, sleeplessness, insomnia. Um, physical ways could have things like, you know, when you're stressed and you, and you hold on to your stress can come out in things like high blood pressure, um, heart disease, skin disorders, you know, arthritis. When we internalize things, it does tend to come out within the body. So it's really important that's my message really for people to just, you know, talk about it. If you can't talk about it, write about it, have a journal, write down your feelings and cry. Let the tears come because there's been some research about tears and how they're actually healing tears in themselves. You know, they release the toxins within the body. They release the stress. Um, and it, it, it's, it's something that we need to do more. It's not button up and think, right, get on with life. Come on. We don't need to cry about this. I say cry, I say speak, and I say write. <laughs> write it out is part of your your well-being. That moving forward. Mm, um, yeah, I mean, to say thank you for that, sharing that, Joe, doesn't... I almost feel embarrassed just, just uttering those two words because um, I know we've sp uh, spoken very briefly off-air about... Uh, the experience that I went through with my ex-wife uh, way back in 1983. And so listening to you there unfold um, your story um, brought one or two things back. And and I just made a couple of notes, Joe, as you were speaking around, you know, those more pertinent aspects. And you alluded to the various coping mechanisms and certainly for for my ex-wife, it was just that no-nonsense nil. It just get on with it. One of those things meant to be. And, you know, I certainly, th I mean, as I say, 83, well, you know, a good time ago now, 30 years ago nearly. And that was the way, certainly as kids, we was brought up. Um, mm. And, and you know, even more so for guys. And I'll come to the, the cry element in, in a moment. But, yeah, she coped with it with that very... Yeah, black and white, um, and that's it. But psychologically, as I went on my journey in years to come, I and I never asked the question, and I'm now I'm going to ask her the question, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from a personal perspective, I, I thank you very much because what this has said to me is, you know, what I often say with clients you know, when I'm doing work, I'm like a mirror in front of them. And what are you actually seeing? What are those, you know, capturing those words and those, you know, those cues about that hidden pain um, and what you've done there in, in the most positive way is actually said, you know what, Paul, get your mirror out show it to the ex-wife and talk about this and ask her where where she is, you know, all these years later um, because that was never done. And now in our own ways, we just got on with it. I mean, mine was a, mine was a completely different reaction, one of anger, injustice. My world at the time was extremely black and white. I, I couldn't even spell grey, let alone understand the concept of it. And... Wow. It was, you know, okay, no, I wage war because I was emotionally bankrupt because of so much other stuff going off in my life from my upbringing. I couldn't cope with it. So I, as was my way, I lashed out massively and I set myself up as judge, jury and executioner to anybody that, and I was already on this crusade anyway, but this just sort of pushed it even further around this, um, okay, if I see injustice towards a child, especially a little child, then I'm going to sort that out and I will sort it out. Um, and I did. And it got me in a lot of trouble. Um, so that was my coping mechanism, which was completely wrong, Joe. But just to bring that into context um, towards the end of what you said about the cry therapy, for want of a better term, you know, what I would say, particularly to guys, um, because, you know, this conditioning that, that certainly prevailed for many years uh, from my generation, um, big boys don't cry. Well, mm-hmm. from yeah. from one that held that belief for many years to his detriment, I would like to say now that, and I've, as I do reiterate on more than one occasion, in, in fact, every given opportunity, you know, and yet again, Joe, you've provided that op- opportunity to reinforce the message, but actually it's only big boys that do cry. <laughs> You're so right. My goodness, that's given me goosebumps, that phrase, Paul. Yeah, um, because bottling it up as, you know, as I did over, over you know, not just this incident, but um, many other things, you know, basically led, to, led me to attempted suicide, um, decades of addiction, very, very polarised way of being, black and white, violence-driven, um, that I'd learnt, you know, at the hands of my stepfather when I was a young kid, um and it's you know and all that was built on the back of big boys don't cry shut up just get on with it just deliver just win at all costs and this totally nonsensical way of being so yeah um you know i reiterate again joe what you've done there um through your specific message around baby loss um is is actually i think covered quite a few spectrums they're very powerful spectrums and, and certainly there's some very powerful learning in there, you know, whether that is specifically about miscarriage or baby loss or more generally about life itself. And I think that good, powerful lessons in life, they cover all spectrums. They, they don't just sit in one little corner. That's very true. That's very true. Well, I'm very glad I could mirror that up and, and bring that bring those uh, things to light because you know, it's it's important, isn't it? So important for everyone to to just really, you know, connect with themselves and 
and think it's okay it's okay to cry it's okay to to grieve it's you know we don't have to box these things away and quite often i think paul people um are scared to go there because to open that box because they think well if i open that box it's like a can of worms will i ever recover from it and i i see this a lot with my clients as well they come and they go mm, in one of my fears is if, if I touch, if I go deep and I touch that nerve, that 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 thing that's hurting me, will I ever, will I be able to stop crying? Will I get too messy and, and not be able to cope? But the thing is, which I have observed is, you know what? You can release that really quickly. Yeah. It's only, you know, it's only energy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go into this sort of uncontrolled state because it's the fear of doing it that's worse than the actual doing it yes yeah um and and i agree with that entirely joe and and, and i simplify you know as as is my way i always try now and get things down to the most simplistic way uh, not of just understanding and conveying the message but actually the way life is the reality of life and you know i'm blessed to be going on that journey and getting those insights because for me, life is an extremely simple game. It really is. And I think, um, you know, the paradox on that is we spend so much of our conditioning, our upbringing, our beliefs around how complicated you've got to do this. And that dreaded should word, you should do this and you should do that. You know, and usually, obviously, from well-meaning people, such as our parents, our peers, but obviously they, they come from a place of, you know, doing the best within the limited consciousness. And, mm. um, you know, thankfully through messages like this, you know, that consciousness, in my humble opinion, is, is, is extended, um, is growing, is ever growing. And I think that for me is the one thing that, uh, you know, does demystify the reality of life. And, and, and you know, for me, allows me with conviction and total total utter belief joe to say life is a simple game and when we really strip it back down you've you've used the f word there just latterly that horrible horrible disgusting f word called fear and <coughs> fear versus love and i suppose and i'm going to let you have the last word joe um but my my parting word i suppose in terms of a message is to say that actually fear and love we do have a choice so choose wisely yes i i would i would totally agree with that um love 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 and freedom you know love brings joy brings freedom and that's what we're all striving for aren't we absolutely absolutely so I know you've already alluded, Joe, to um, how people can contact you, but um, I think, you know, in light of your uh, very poignant, very sensitive, very courageous share and the amazing work that you're doing for, for the benefit of people, you know, I think it's more than worthwhile for you to uh, just reinforce what, you know, how people can reach out, contact you. Um, and they'll be in the uh, episode show notes as well. But for the listener's point of view, kind of here and now, if you just re repeat those uh, contact methods, Joe, that would be great. Sure. Uh, my website is called um, life-after-miscarriage.com. Okay. And my um, Facebook uh, support group is miscarriage and loss in pregnancy right okay as i say that they'll be in the show notes um 
Anything else to add at the uh, literally the 11th hour before we close off, Joe? Oh, I, I would just say on my parting words is, you know, talk about it. Don't keep it buttoned up. You know, there's there's people out there that can help. And if you're struggling, please, please, please go and find someone who can help you. Don't suffer in silence. And be prepared to shed those tears, those healing tears. Absolutely. Cry, cry, cry until the cows come home. <laughs> okay then, Joe. Joe, honestly, no apologies for repeating yes, yet again the, the gratitude for, for sharing that uh, immensely powerful story. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.